And I'm convinced that the more Brother Tim hangs around me, the more rhythm he gets. <laughs> oh, you're questioning that? <laughs> Listen, who's talking? Yeah, your wife has rhythm. You better be hanging with her. <laughs> I know I got rhythm. <laughs> yes, sir. Mm. Would you uh, <clears throat> join me as we read, beginning in verse 5? Then Joaz came into the house of the king, and he said, Today you have disgraced all of your servants who did today have saved your life. The lives of your sons and your daughters, the lives of your wives and your, the lives of your concubines, in that you, you love your enemies and hate your friends. Well, you have declared today that you regard neither prince nor servants, for today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. Now, therefore, rise, go out, and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. Then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told all the people, saying, there is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, for everyone of Israel had fled to his tent. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all our ears have heard and what we have felt. And Father, as I uh, failed to mention earlier, it was my privilege to bring a guest to our church on Thursday of this week. And she was able to say just by stepping into the entrance of the door that she felt the presence of the Lord. God, you are here, and we're grateful for that. Father, may we ever continue to stay before you in earnest, humble prayer. Father, may we always be eager in anticipation that you will show up. And God, may you be continually welcomed into this place to the praise of your saints. God, we are so grateful that you're here. You're here, you're here. And we celebrate that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. We have a sister in the house who's soon to be a doctor, Sister Jamila. Amen, praise God. Amen. All that is standing in front of her now is her dissertation. And we have a doctor also just starting the process, and the person of Sister Kanita Benson, who's starting her doctoral program. Amen. She's going to beat me to the finish line. But praise the Lord for obedience. When you obey, God will open doors. Some of you may remember, as we continue our series, I'm entitling Radical relevant reboot, and we're basing this on the scripture in the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, 
where the Bible says that the tribe of Issachar was aware of the times and they knew what to do. They were aware of the times and they knew what to do. That means that a part of being aware of the times is that they were radical. They had passion for service. They knew what was going on, which means that they were relevant. They were practical in their planning to serve. And it also involved rebooting, which means that as you are being passionate and practical, that you have to be purposeful. And the purpose for which we want to be rebooted is to have an eternal perspective. Everything that we do, we want to do it with the kingdom in mind. And so we don't want to just be a, a gathering of people who come and have a good time every Sunday and we don't touch anybody's lives in the community that God has planted us in. And so we continue to pray about that, and we also are soliciting your perspective of opportunities that are out there where our church can step out of the box and do things that will meet immediate needs. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, in the 1970s, there was a very popular commercial by the Menon's Corporation. On one of the episodes, there's a man who's describing how he would never forget his first slap. It was the day he was born. As he's reflecting on being delivered from his mother's womb, he asked, where was I? I was scared. It was the doctor. He brought me to my senses, holding him up by his two little infant legs. The doctor slapped him twice on the backside. And when the doctor slaps the baby coming out of his mother's womb on the backside, you could hear this baby just yelling from the top of its lungs. And he said, I couldn't say thank you. I needed that then. But I needed that then. And I need it now. And I get up every morning from skin bracer, the skin tightener, chin chiller, to wake me up. And of course, after he puts the skin brace on, then he slaps himself on both sides of the face. And then he goes, ah, like he's coming out of his womb, the mother's womb, for the first time. And then he concludes, thank you. I needed that. Now, I've never used Skin Bracer, and I don't know that it's still on the market, uh, to start my day. And I have never been slapped in the face especially thinking that after someone would have done it, I would say, thank you, I needed that. <laughs> but there have been times in my life when I just couldn't seem to get, get it together. I was stuck on a street called pity, anger, worry, and sometimes unforgiveness. As long as I remained in that dark place, I cast a shadow on everything and everyone 
I came in contact with. And when I looked at the world, I saw it from the, the vantage point of my pain, my discouragement, my disappointment, until God allowed somebody to do something figuratively to give me the skin bracer treatment. They didn't literally slap me in my face, but God used their words or their presence to so jolt me out of my stuck state that as I look back at those individuals and those experiences, I can now say thank you. I needed that. Sometimes we don't want a spiritual slap to wake us up because we have learned to be comfortable with our pain. Sometimes what you're going through is so normal for you now that it becomes your security blanket. And you do not know how to function without the shadow of what you've gone through in order to function in a normal way. But today, while I do not have skin bracer to personally slap you on both sides of your cheek so you can scream, I hope that this will be a skin bracer moment as we're going through the word of God and you will be able to say at the end of the message from the example that is set before us in the word of God, thank you. I needed that. Turn to somebody and say, I'm about to, no, <clears throat> say thank you. <laughs> I needed that. I, I had to pull back. Because uh, some folks out there say, thank you for giving me permission to do what I've been wanting to do. Now that we're sufficiently cooled by the air conditioner, thank you. <clears throat> thank you, I needed that. In 2 Samuel chapter 19, King David was faced with a slap in the face moment. He didn't realize he needed it or the consequences that would result if he didn't respond properly. Sometimes you don't know that you're stuck somewhere. And if you don't get that jolt, if something doesn't happen to move you forward, the consequences that you will suffer will sometimes be irreparable insurmountable. Listen to the words that are recorded in verse 7 of 2 Samuel chapter 19. Now therefore arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants, for I swear, I'm about to slap you now, by the Lord, if you don't go out, not one will stay with you this night. And if you think it's bad now, What's about to come upon you will be worse than anything that has ever happened to you from your early days as a youth up until now. If you don't snap out of this thing now, if you don't get yourself together now, if you continue to turn a deaf ear, this may be your last opportunity. This may be your Anna and Anna, 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 
and Sapphira, Ananias and Sapphira moment. Now, the person that God used to tell David to get himself together was his top general named Joab. I want you to know that every one of us needs a Joab in our life, somebody who loves us enough, who has courage enough to look us in our eyes and tell us about ourselves. Mm-hmm. I know you got perfume on and you, you, you got it all externally looking good, but but they need to be able to say that man looks at the outward. They don't know you like I know you. God sees your heart. And if you don't do something now, you may never get an opportunity to change again. Now, I want to share with you what can cause us to get stuck in our past. David was actually, he was locked into his past experiences while his present was demanding the proper response. There's nothing like somebody whose most definite yes is a maybe. You ever deal with somebody like that? Their strongest yes is maybe, a maybe. And then you got to do something. The person was Joab. Now, I want to share from the example that is before us at least four reasons why we can get stuck. But before I do, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. That takes us back into the passage and helps us to understand how David was in this place of emotional paralysis. You ever find yourself right back where you started? You thought you were over it. You thought you were through it. It was done. It's behind you. And here you are. You're in a revolving door facing the same pain and thoughts. Beginning in verse 1, and Joaz was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory, when there should have been a celebration that day, was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard, heard it that day that the king grieved his son. And the people stole back into the city that day as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. Now, instead of them being able to celebrate that they had help David to be rescued, they are now feeling afraid and ashamed that they've done something wrong. But the king covered his face, and the king cried out with a loud voice, Oh, my son Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son. Now, I want you to notice a couple observations before I share what can get us mourning the Absaloms in our life who were actually the instrument in the hand of the enemy who was trying to destroy us. And sometimes those who are the ones who are the most dangerous to us, when David said, when I went to the temple, he said, I would have, it would have been fine with me if it had been my enemy that was stabbing me in the back. It would have been fine if it was my enemy who was talking about me and had hateful thoughts in their hearts about me. But he said it was my, my familiar friends. It was my church member friends. Notice this observation before we share the four reasons. When you get stuck in your, your past hurts, you'll never fully be, able, fully be able to enjoy your present blessings. You'll, when you get stuck in your past hurts, you cannot fully enjoy the present, and you can possibly forfeit your future possibilities. 
And so when you, here's, here's what happens. When you get in a position when you should be celebrating what God has just done for you, this is the day that the Lord has made. I, this is the day. Today is the day. Not tomorrow. In all things, give thanks for this is the world. Today, I'm going to give thanks. If you're not giving thanks for today, you're like a person driving your car looking in the rearview mirror. You can't enjoy what God is doing. And if you don't stop looking in your rearview mirror, your future blessings will be forfeited. But here's a second observation. What you experienced in the past may be real or imagined. If you allow those experiences to paralyze you, you will always be a victim. If you allow what has happened to you to control you in the present, even though it occurred in the past, you will always be the victim of the person who perpetrated the, 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 inc the incident or the, or, or the hurt. You'll always be subject to their authority. You'll always be under their control. David had a rough life. And sometimes all of us have a place where you come to a point where everything comes to a climax, where all of your hurts seem to come to a head and the, the, the accumulation of everything that David ever went through on this day came upon the shoulders of David, and he collapsed under the weight, and now he's paralyzed to make the right decisions for today. Now, let me share four things that will cause us to need a skin, skin brace a moment where we need to get it together, where we need to get, get shook up in a very direct way. First of all, I'm going to suggest that demonic spirits assigned by Satan to destroy David was at work. From the very day God called him to become king, David became Satan's primary target for destruction. When you get a chance in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 10 through 11, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture today just to kind of set the tone that if you, you, there are things that God has for you, they're, they're, but be, to get to them, there are going to be mountains, there are going to be obstacles, there are going to be difficulties. But the scripture says, if I have the faith the size of the grain of a mustard seed, if I just have faith, if I keep my eyes on those things which are above and not those things which are above, below, God will get me to where he has already predetermined I will be. But then there, then, then there are going to be these obstacles include demonic spirits assigned. The Bible says, and it happened on that next day that a distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. So David, as he played music with his hand, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. Now, what's interesting about that is this. Now, while David is playing to calm Saul's spirit, the Bible says that an evil spirit allowed by God comes upon Saul, and the contradiction is, on the one hand, it's an evil spirit, and the brother starts prophesying. And while he's prophesying, in his torment and in his deranged state, he throws a spear at the, new, the anointed one of God to kill David's destiny. And so what, in this case, what you have is, is demonic spirits specifically deciding that David has to be taken out. When you make up your mind that you're going to be serious for the Lord, whatever his anointing, whatever his call, whatever his purpose and destiny for you, there will de be demons assigned to you. In fact, we're told in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, 
Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. So, so Paul says, like with David, who had demons assigned to take him out, there are demons who are under the control of Satan that are assigned to you. Just like you have ministering angels from God, there are demons who go home with you every single day, and they're not your children. They can use your children just like they can use you. It says, therefore, take on the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all the stand. Now, what's interesting is that the apostle Paul, before he says, finally, I'm concluding, after everything that I've said, I've talked about our riches in Christ in chapters 1 through 3. And now I want to talk about our responsibilities in Christ. In chapter 4, he talks about how Christians can get along with each other. Be angry and sin not. Steal no more from one another. Let no. He talks about how we can get along as believers because we're one in Christ, but we still have this thing called the flesh. And then in chapter 5, he says, and submit yourselves one to another. But in order to to have this kind of interaction as believers where there's no lying, where there's speaking the truth and love, where there's forgiveness and kindness, something has to happen in order for us to be submissive. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. By being, when a wife is being submissive to her husband, she is operating in obedience. She is operating under the authority of her husband by voluntarily submitting her will to his as if she's obeying the Lord. The Bible says in all things, unless what he's saying is contradictory to the scriptures, wives, you come under his authority. But he also says, don't look at me that way, Sister Diane. He said, he said, husbands, submit to your wives. Submit yourselves one to another. How do husbands submit to their wives? By loving your wife as Christ loved the church. When a husband is loving his wife the way Christ loved the church, he is willing to die for her. He makes her his priority. He loves her as himself. He takes her as her, her number, his number one girl, and she is his assignment. And so he says, submit your health one to another. Wives, submit to your husband. Husbands, submit to your wives. And he says, children, in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, submit yourself to your own parents, for this is right, as unto the Lord. And then he says, employees, submit yourself to employers. As unto the Lord, and he says, employers, submit yourself to employees by treating them like fellow heirs or joint heirs in Christ. But in order to do that, we must be, he tells us how to do it in verses, chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. I've told you what God expects of you, but what I'm asking you to do is going to require supernatural strength. He said, be strengthened in the power and the might that comes from the Lord. That's what, we have. Well, that's what we must do. But how we do, he says, put on the whole armor of God. You're not going to be able to submit to your husband, to submit to your wife, to submit to your parents, to submit to your employee, unless you put on this whole armor of God and be strengthened in the might and the strength that comes from God. And he says, here's, how you, he says, here's why you need the strength. He said, for we wrestle not. This is hand-to-hand combat, and the, the enemy that we're fighting is not the person you can see. It's an invisible. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The enemy is the devil himself working through demons, and we can't see him. And his strength is greater than ours. 
But Jesus said, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you, so we've got power, the Holy Spirit power, but in order for that power to be released, for me to be a good husband, a good wife, a good employee, a good son, a good daughter, I must voluntarily do what Paul says. We must obey the command. And so one of the things that will keep you stuck in your past is that there are demonic spirits assigned to you. You thought that was your boss making your, your life miserable. You thought if you made more money at work, you'd be happier. Now you're making more money and you're more miserable. We have demonic forces that have been signed, assigned. Then sometimes what keeps us stuck in our past and requires that a skin bracer moment where, where we're jolted out of our, out of our carnality, jolted out of uh, 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 paralyzed, uh, 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 ungodly thinking is the decisions that we make. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, the Bible says, and it happened in the spring of the year, in the time that the kings go, to, go out to battle, that David was sent Joab, his servant, with him, and all of Israel. He sent them out to battle, and they destroyed the people of Ammon, besieged, and they received Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Then it happened on the evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. Now we often, now here's the story. Dave, so, so now we're talking about the demonic spirits who know what your weaknesses are. The Bible said, let no man say that he's, when he's tempted, that he's tempted of God. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust. And when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin and sin. When the devil knows what tempts you. What tempts you doesn't bother me. And so when the devil knew David's weaknesses, he was in a perfect situation to fall. The Bible says during the times when the kings went to war during the spring, and we often say the worst thing that David ever did, he took a vacation. No, that's not the worst thing he ever did, that he didn't go to war during the spring. The only reason the kings went to war during the spring is because that was the best time to fight. You didn't have to deal with inclement weather. And then even when the kings were there at the battle, they weren't down there sweating out and, 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 and going toe-to-toe. They were sitting on the top of the hill while the dudes were battling in the valley. They were watching. If the battle got bad for their forces, the king and his uh, generals, they would turn and hightail to get back to safety. So the king wasn't literally, in most instances, involved in the actual fighting. And so the sin that David was guilty of, was not he decided to stay home. You need to go on vacation sometime. Even Jesus slipped away. The problem occurred when David was strolling alone at night, and he looked over the balcony of the palace. He looked on his computer, and he was look, looking for sports and see what the Sixers did, and, or the Eagles did, and, or the Phillies and Sam Harper, and, and they all excited. And the next thing you know, there goes Bathsheba on the screen, and she don't have no clothes on. Now, David is still cool, even though he sees a woman who has no clothes on. I don't know why she's bathing in a place where you can see her butt-skinned birthday suit. I don't know why. And I don't believe there was no intent on her part that this is the time that the king, who has 10 wives, shouldn't only have but one, uh, it's going to be by himself on the night when he's got 10 other women that he could, 10 women that he's actually married to. So he's still cool. He sees this. Oh, let me, let me shut this down off my computer. Let me erase this. Let me delete this. And, and, and you know, unfortunately, the way pornography works, 
Even if you delete it from the screen, it's on your mind. It's engrafted into your mind. I can still remember things that I saw at 11 years old. Pornography and the impact that it had on my mind. Even to this day, that's the danger of exposing yourself to certain things that the, that the Lord never intended for us to see. It was, there was a time when it was good for man and woman to be walking around showing everything. That was before sin, but now sin has entered into the world, and what, was, what, what God called good has now become shameful. And what, we, what, what Adam did not lust for, we now are lustful for. So David is still cool. He saw he shut the, he could shut the computer down. But no, he's more, he wanted to find out where that website is, and maybe there's some more stuff I can download. And so he calls in his servant. He said, who is this? Who is she? And the servant uh, checked the team's Rolodex, and there she was. Uh, he told her who, she's somebody's daughter, and she's married to a man named Uriah who happens to be serving you faithfully in the military. Well, King's still cool. He didn't done anything wrong. He just got more information. Oh, Uriah's not home? He's on the battlefield? Maybe I need to to find out a little bit more about it. He said, go and get her. That's when David made the worst decision of his life. I want you to know that some of the we make, well, all of us make bad decisions. But there are those singular decisions, there are those, those moments in our life when you can make the worst decision that you can ever make that will impact not only your life, but the generations of those who will follow. And all the prayer in the world, all the fasting and the oil and everything that everybody would ever want to do, you run over somebody while you're under the influence of alcohol, you not bring that person back to life. You send pledges out who haven't slept for seven days, and one falls asleep while three are in the car asleep, and one dies. You're not, that decision will impact lives forever. And so what David decided on a one-night stand that became a lifetime nightmare. Who would know? Uriah's away battling. I have one night stand. I'll just hit it and hit it and quit it. Hit it and quit it. Hit it and quit it. You actually there are apps on your phone that you can hit and there are people in your area that if you just want to have sex with them, never see them again, you hit the app, they meet you somewhere, you meet them, and boy meets girl, what's love got to do with it? It's simply physical, and it's over and done. David was thinking that same way. Now, I'm not trying to give anybody any ideas now. Don't put that app, don't download that app. The blood of Jesus. He later finds out that Bathsheba, the woman, had a name. She wasn't just an object. She wasn't just a piece of meat. She wasn't just somebody that David, in a position of authority, could demand whatever he wanted. I mean, by what could she say? He was the king. Whatever he wanted, he could have. But God was watching. And the Bible says that she became with child. She was pregnant. 
And you know the rest of the story. David tries to hide and cover it. And, and, and the more you lie about something, the more lies you got to tell. And before you know, you got a web of lies. And you, sometimes you lie so much that you actually believe your own lie. The worst thing that can happen to you is that you lie so much and that you, you don't even know when you're lying. Donald Trump, you said, I didn't say that. <clears throat> I didn't say that. And so David's bad decision was to take another man's wife and to have sex with her. The Bible calls that adultery. We call it a fling, a one-night stand. We call it a mistake. God calls it sin. And sometimes that sin is so severe that God actually says that those who are guilty of it in the Old Testament, that was, that was punishable by it was a capital crime. The two individuals that were guilty were supposed to be stoned. Now, the interesting thing about that, when you study the Old Testament, out of all, there were adulteries that, that are recorded in the scriptures, but you don't ever read that anyone was ever stoned to death. And here's the point that the law required, the letter of the law required, stone them, but the spirit of the law was to forgive them that grace and mercy. And so you see grace and mercy even in the Old Testament. So David thinks he's finally covered his tracks. Uriah is such an honorable man. When he comes home for furlough, he would not have sex with his wife. He would not sleep in the bed. And then David finally signs orders that when the battle was at its hottest, that those who were supporting Uriah would retreat without him knowing it so that he would be struck down. Isn't it amazing how... You can spend months trying to learn John 3.16 and still can't even say John 3.16. <clears throat> but when it comes to plotting evil, our sinful minds are so clever and ingenious. Who would have thought that David could have come up with an idea like this? Now that Uriah is dead, I can marry his wife and nobody will know the difference. And so he marries. Uriah's wife. So I want you to know that sometimes the decisions that you make in the heat of the moment, that you get caught up in your flesh, get caught up in your lust, you just got to do this and you'll be okay. You, God will forgive you. You know God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. But you could be like that brother who, who, who was away from his wife thousands of miles. She didn't know. And this beautiful woman's looking at him. He's looking at her. And she says she wants him. He wants her. And he said, okay. And she says, I want nothing permanent, one night stand. And bam, the last thing he's hoping when he wakes up in the morning, I hope she's gone. And to his amazement, he wakes up, looks over on the side of it. She's out of there. And so he's smiling from ear to ear. Nobody knows. I, I actually had a beautiful woman with me tonight, and I'm going to be able to go home. My wife will never know. And then he goes in, and he sees written on the mirror in red lipstick, welcome to the world of AIDS. The enemy loves to play mind games with you about what you could have or should have done when you made that decision. I know we all had those times when we shouldn't have. You, you married this one or you married that one. You took this job. You took that job. You agreed to have a surgery on your back. And some say, I'll never get surgery on my back. But you decided, and you haven't been right since. Sometimes he will even use the past to remind us about the pleasures of sin. And some, that's how the devil will trick you about your past decisions. He'll make you think that it was better when you were, when you were unsaved. 
Remember the Jews in, in Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. The Bible says, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving, lusting. So the children of Israel also wept against them, carnal, hanging around the wrong crowd. The Bible says, Who will give us meat? They said, Who will give us meat? And then they said, We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. There was nothing free in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now, our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. They lusted for what God had delivered them from. Sometimes when you're going through in your present situation, when the Ammons in your life have died, when, you, when you're faced with the consequences of your decision, the devil will have you thinking that it was better before you got saved. At least I had money in my pocket. At least I had me a man. At least I had me a woman. I hear I am struggling, and I don't have no friends, and nobody gets, you know, I don't get along with none. I, my, most of my friends are unsaved anyway. When the Bible says, come out from among them, be separate, say, the Lord touch not the other thing, your best friend shouldn't be unsaved. Because that means that you are unequally yoked with unbelievers. What fellowship has light with darkness and darkness with light? A person that's unsaved cannot give you spiritual insight. Even if they stumble into it, they don't understand what they even said to you. Because the natural man receives not the, you understand what I'm saying? And so here they are. We wish we could go back to Egypt. I wish I had my old car, my old girlfriend, the one that was going upside your head. I wish I could have her. You couldn't trust her as far as you could see her. You didn't know from one day to the next what was going to happen. And so here you are. So the apostles, so they were longing for their past. That's what the devil will do when you make bad decisions. He'll try to tell you, maybe you need to leave the church. Maybe you need to go back to your old boys. At least they would not judge you. The church is so judgmental. Here they are telling me every Sunday I got to come to pass talking about sin. And they don't talk about sin where I hang out. And, on the, and when I'm watching the view, they talk about how you can be yourself and, and how you can grow into all that you want. That's what I need to hear. The apostle Paul also talks about not only... Uh, patting your back or longing or craving for your past, the good old days, he says, you don't want to be celebrating the, the past blessings of God too long. He said, this one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind. He said, but I press towards a higher mark, the higher calling which is in Christ. I, I thank you, Lord, for what you did for me yesterday. Thank you, Lord, for what, what's your testimony for today? What is God doing to you and for you today? I want you to understand that the decisions that you make can rob you of your joy, can steal your peace. There was a time you could celebrate the Lord and really praise the Lord, but now here you are. You read the same Bible, you do make the same prayers, but you don't have the same results because you're still struggling from the results and sometimes the consequences of choices that you made. The Apostle Paul talked about. Here's another thing, the dilemma. Not only the decisions and demonic assignments, the demons that are, <clears throat> are assigned, the dilemma we create can hold you captive to your past, get you stuck, thinking that every man's a dog, every man's no good, your husband's looking you right in your face, but you can't see that. 
because of the dilemma you created. A dilemma is a predicament you have made dif- uh, where you have made a dif- where you are forced to make a difficult choice because of some self-inflicted something that you've done or something that has been inflicted upon you that you had no control over. That's what a dilemma is. You in a situation, and, and it was your parents. You didn't ask what you didn't have a choice about who you were going to be born, who your parents were going to be. You didn't have a choice when your parents say they were going to divorce. You didn't deserve that, but now you are, the, you are a, a casualty from their decisions. And now that's your dilemma. And so you, you've got to be separated. One parent's here, the other parent's there. And often they use the children as pawns, as a tug of war. And so, so you've got this constant pressure. So what we have in, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 13 through 15, David is confronted by the prophet Nathan, and David says to Nathan, you are the man, the person that did this in secret. God was watching every move. God was watching every decision. God was standing there for this entire time when you're manipulating the situation to cover your tracks. God saw it. There's nothing that is hidden from his eyes. The danger is that you can become so comfortable in your sin and your bad choices that you don't even know that God is right there in the bed with you. If you belong to him, the Bible says you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you. That means that wherever you go, that's where God is. So no door that you lock, no light that you turn on, no drive that you can take. You say, I'm going to watch him. I'm going to put him. No, no, no. You got God on patrol. And there's nothing that is hidden from him. So the dilemma was, Nathan goes and David says, when he says, you're the guilty party, David said, I've sinned. He owned it. But here's what the prophet Nathan said, now therefore, here's the consequence, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. David said, now David repented. Here's where we get, we get confused. Well, if I forgive them, then they get away. No, David was forgiven, but he didn't get away. The sword shall never depart from your house. Those babies that were made are always going to be yours. The hearts that were broken, the time that was wasted, the people you hurt, the hurts that you experienced, those wages that you lost, You're not recovering those. The sword, he says, the consequences of your sin will always be with you. And if you study the situation with David's boys, Amnon raped his sister. Absalom murdered Amnon. Amnon slept with David's ten concubines on on that same roof where David saw Bathsheba. And then David had a son named Solomon. He said, oh, my brother committed adultery, but let me show you what the Guinness World Book of Records ought to look like. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. It became a generational sin. And so the dilemma that we put ourselves in when, when, we, when we don't trust God, when we don't come to our senses, is that the sword may never leave our homes. One of the hardest things to regain when trust is broken in marriage is trust. It's very hard to regain, and that's why I believe that the scriptures actually say there are times when divorce is permissible. It's not mandatory, it's not commanded, but it's an option, because when adultery occurs in marriage, it actually kills the marriage. And so the person who has suffered, who has been inflicted by what was killed, has has a choice. 
But stay with me. So that's the dilemma. Are you with me? So demonic spirits, decisions, the dilemma are things that can keep us from coming out of our, our feelings. And here's the fourth thing, the death of a dream. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, what, what, the, what the prophet says, he says that Bathsheba has a child. This was before sonograms, before, before uh, reveal parties. A boy is in her womb, but the child that is there, he's going to die. And so David goes into fasting. He goes into praying. He won't eat. He's laying on the floor for days at a time. He is inconsolable. He's trying to change the mind, the heart of God. And then not long after the, the child actually dies, he gets the, the news that Absalom, his favorite son, has died. He's been killed. The, the Absalom, David's son, had rebelled against David. And David's men, Joab in particular, the general that is now rebuking David in chapter 19, is the one who first uh, killed David's son. And so now the death of a dream is this. David understood, even though he had already experienced the death of Amnon, one of his sons, he understood that the reason why Absalom and that infant were dead was because of his sin. When you understand that you were the person driving that car, are you the one who made that decision and people were depending on you? And because of your decision, you, you, you've been evicted, you've been had, you had your stuff repossessed, your marriage has ended, your, your child is dead, and you're standing over that casket, you're in that situation, but it was you, that's the death of a dream. You know that generations have been impacted because of your bad choices. You understand that the covering that those boys should have been for their family, the spiritual uh, 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 leadership that they would have been able to give, all of the potential that God had placed in them when they were conceived in their mother's womb, now it was forever gone because of a decision that David had made, the death of a dream. I want you to know that every time that we hesitate to be obedient to God in the present about something that he's telling us to do that is wrong in our life, we're killing, potentially killing our future dreams. Sometimes this thing is like, can you imagine you're driving a car? Let's make it a van. You got a van and your whole family of generations, they're in the van with you and you on the phone and somebody says something that hurts your feelings, makes you angry, gets you upset. And the moment your feelings are activated, if you're immature, if you're operating in the moment in the passions of your, of your loins, or you're not, you're not responding spiritually, now you're so upset during that time that you are, are controlled by your emotions, you're totally out of touch. with You can't serve right. You can't think right. You can't do right. And by the time you snap out of it, you done crashed everybody into a tree. Sometimes we're so caught up in where we are and what they did, and they shouldn't have done it, and they understood it. I know it was on purpose. Why they do it to me? They wouldn't do it to nobody else. And here I am again. I'm so tired of turning the other cheek. Why I got to be backing down? Why I got to be the convert? Why, why me? And while you're doing all that, why me? Somebody right next to you is dying. Somebody in your family that you could have ministered to something, a word in season that you could have said, you've missed those opportunities because you're so self-engulfed in, 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 so self that God, that the devil is using you to kill somebody else's dream. 
because you're so absorbed in what you're feeling. Now, let me quickly go. Why, why do we need a skin brace a moment? Those times when somebody will tell you, tell you the truth about yourself, even when it's unpleasant. Listen to what the scripture says. For, for I declare to you today that you have regarded neither prince or servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived, you'd be more happy if your son who was trying to kill you, if he had survived, you'd be more happy if he lived than we died. He said, David, this is disgraceful. Now let me give you some reasons why it's so dangerous to, get, to not grow. Some people in the church all their lives, and you're still, you're still where you started when you first got saved. You're immature in the Lord. The same stuff that trips you up, the same punches that you, you don't know how to duck a sp- the, uh, the devil's punch. You get hit by the same punch all the time. Here's why. You disregard your present blessings. He says in verse 8, he said, for, for, you have, for, you, for you have declared today. He, you have declared. This is what Joab said. Today, you should be celebrating what should you be celebrating? What David was a recipient of is that when, when he was confronted by, by the prophet Nathan, he says, God knows your sin. There will be consequences. But he says, you will not die. So every single day, David woke up to what uh, the, uh, an unpack, uh, 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 the gift of mercy and grace. And, and no matter how bad Things are going on in our life at any given time. We have something to be thankful for. Jeremiah said, if it wasn't for your mercies, we would be consumed. Great is your faithfulness. And so when I'm stuck on me and focusing on uh, what I've gone through, et cetera, and I'm not moving on, what I'm doing, I'm disregarding God's present blessing, the blessing of mercy. A Christian always has something to be grateful about, something to give thanks for, something to praise for. And so when I've learned, when I'm, when I'm negative and down, it's because I've taken my eyes off of the Lord. The Bible said, looking unto Jesus, he is the author and the finisher. He's already completed the race. If I could just get my eyes on him, then I have reason to say, thank you, Lord. You've given me another day. Thank you, Lord. By your mercies, I stand. Thank you, Lord. By your mercies, I'm breathing today. Thank you, Lord, for all all that you've given to me, not because I deserve it. He was disregarding God's daily serving of mercy. But publicly, he was disregarding all the people who depended on him. When you can't get past you, everybody that is depending on you, the folks who risked their lives to keep David alive, the people that were looking to David for leadership, he was neglecting them. He was disregarding them. So it has, not only is it hurting you for moving forward and not being appreciative of God's mercy, but it's hurting the others, hurting the people that God has brought into your life. Let me run on. Not only disregarding the present is why we need to be snapped out of our, our stupor, but deception about the past. You actually, he was saying, he was focusing. It wasn't wrong for him to break, be brokenhearted about his son's death. But his son had become an enemy. His son had led a rebellion. And David's responsibility, it was a difficult situation, but in order for him to fulfill his obligation to his people, he could not, sell, he could not 
at the expense of encouraging his, his, the people, put too much emphasis on his son. And so David longed for what? He longed for his past. And what was in his past was what was trying to kill him. Some of the things that we, what we're longing for is what the devil wants to use to kill us. Absalom wanted David dead. And he said, Absalom, Absalom, my son. Now, again, David is the one who was responsible for his son's death. If he hadn't disobeyed God, the sword, the consequences of our sin. But some of the things that you're holding on to in your past, they were the things that the devil was using to try to kill you, to distract you, to keep you from all that God wanted for you. And here you are crying over that instead of walking in the victory that God has for you today. Delayed action in your present, in the present, has future consequences. Joab said, look, if you don't do something today, this may be the last time that God gives you an opportunity to get something right. If you don't stop what you're doing right now, if you don't turn around, he said, what is about to result in terms of the future is going to be worse than anything that you ever thought. You thought you were lonely. If you, like my boy said, if you think you're lonely now. There's something far worse when we don't do what God tells us to do, and we never know when it's going to be God saying to us, this is your last chance. The window of opportunity is closing. The door is shutting. And all your prayers will not open the door again. The opportunities are gone. And Joash said, if you don't go out and do what you need to do right now, you will, your delay will, prevent, will, will, will release to you future consequences that will, will be irreversible. There's some things that you need to say to people today that you've hurt. There's some things that you need to say to yourself about who has hurt you. There's some things that you need to release people from that have wounded you. There's some things that have been holding you in bondage. You've been talking about what you could have, would have, should have done. There's some things that you need to make a decision for out today. And if you don't do it today, this may be your last opportunity, and what you're feeling now will be far less worse than what you will feel. David, you better act now. Now, how can you, how can you do this? How can you get your skin braced a moment? Does somebody have to come and slap you? Oh, no, you'd be fighting because you're in your flesh anyway. <laughs> the Bible says, then the king arose and he sat at the gate and they told all the people saying, there's the king sitting at the gate. So guess what the people did? So all the people came before the king, when the king did what he was supposed to do. Now, what should you do when, when, you, when you're the person that Nathan is confronting about some dirt you've done, some mistreatment that, you, that, you've, that you've inflicted upon your wife or your husband, and somebody's telling you, one of the things that you need to do is what David did. He accepted constructive criticism. I ain't receiving that. I rebuke that spirit in the name of the Lord. I ain't sick. I ain't tired. I ain't going to lose my... You're going to get fired if you don't change. I'm going to tell her just how I feel. I ain't going to let nobody treat me like I'm some slave. I ain't going to let somebody look at me. I'm a woman just like she is. Okay, you better accept some constructive criticism because you're going to be hitting the bricks in a minute. And when somebody is telling you the truth, the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. It may not feel good, that's not what this is, but it'll make you live good if you receive the truth. Because if you know the truth, the truth will what? The truth will set you free. 
You ought to have somebody that can tell you the truth. Went to work one day, pants, zipper all open all day. Nobody told me. I wonder why it was drafty. So we didn't want to embarrass you. What do you mean you didn't want to embarrass me? How's that you? I'm embarrassed because you didn't think enough of me to tell me the truth. Here's another thing. When he, was, when he was crying for his son who had died, what you have to do when you got to do is avoid the emotional trap. I'll do it when I feel better. No, you got to do it now. Well, when I feel better, I'll go pay my electric bill. When I feel better, I'll tell you. No, 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 no. When you get to feeling better, it'll be turned off. You go get the water, and the water won't come on. Brother Tim will turn that stuff off for you. You can't wait. The Bible said to Cain, Cain, if you do right, you'll feel right. Your feelings, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above your emotions. You can't trust them. Be obedient to the Lord. Make a decision. I'm not going to wait on to, if I feel right about it. I'm not going to wait if they say they're sorry. I'm not going to wait if they treat me better. I, for me, in my house, I am going to do what the Lord has told me to do because the victory and reward that he has for me is for me when I do what God told me to do. You need to act decisively. Act decisively by doing what is right. The king arose. I ain't going to just wave my hand, whatever they want to do in this house. I'm sick of it. No. You better arise and sit your backside at the gate. Put yourself in the position. You messed up. Yes, you did. And all the guilt and all the, the charges. Yes, I, David was guilty. But he was still the king. He was still the husband. He was still the covering. You go sit yourself in the gate. acted decisively, sat in the gate. When the people saw him where he was supposed to be, the anointing of God had never left. The call of God doesn't leave you because you messed up. The, 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 the devil's a liar. Failure is not the end. The fail, failure is actually a door to open opportunity for growth and development and restoration. God wants to restore you. He wants to show you that he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. But he resists the proud. And then you need to do a final thing. Appreciate the patience and favor of God. When you read further down to verse 22, David is now being restored as king. He's going back to Jerusalem. And a brother named Shimei, who had cussed the king, you bloodthirsty man, you finally getting what you deserve. And Saul's house is going to be restored, and I'm glad. He's throwing dirt at David, throwing rocks at David, trying to dis not only when David, you know, somebody kicked you when you're down. This brother's putting his foot on David's neck and trying to rub it in. Now David's returning as king, and the, turn, the, 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 the hands are turned. And so David sees Shimei again, and Shimei said, you know what, king? I blew it. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. Now, David was in a position to have Shimei killed. When you know those folks who hurt you when you were broke, those folks that didn't help you when you needed it, now you're in a position where they need help, what you going to do? Abishai, one of David's generals, said, can I kill him now? 
cannot take his neck off. Let me see it roll down the hillside. And David said, is your entire family speaking through you? We're going to come, my adversary on the day, that we should be celebrating the goodness of God. He said, am I not still king? And so what David was able to do to move forward after Joab had given, given him his, friend skin, uh, his skin brace a moment, he was able to celebrate and appreciate that God's grace and favor was still on his life. Yes. If nothing else, when someone comes to you and, and they help you to, to, to get out of your, yourself and to look at what you've been doing wrong and the, the reason why you've not gotten to all of those dreams and plans that you, that you said you're going to do, now you finally have seen the error of your way because of your Joab. You ought to be able to say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I needed that. Now, before there was a Nathan who told David, thou art the man, there was a prophet named, and, and a Joab who told David, get yourself together. There was a prophet named Samuel who had spoken over David's life. You are God's anointed. You're going to be the next king. And then there was a friend named Jonathan, and Jonathan said to David, he was the one who spoke into David's life. He said, when you take my place, I should be the king. But God has already revealed to me, you're going to be the next king. Remember me. You remember the uh, story of Nabal? Nabal means fool. David was getting ready to kill Nabal for Nabal cheating and not paying David for services rendered. And Abigail said, my husband, is this thing is beneath you. Don't forget who you are. She, that was her skin bracer moment. There was an Abigail in his life. And then there are times when you need the Nathans and you need the Joabs. But beyond those folks that were able to speak into David's life, David had the word of God. He knew what God said about adultery. He also had a prayer answering God. But the most important thing that David has and we have, we have the voice of the Holy Spirit that when we are going contrary to the will of God, when we find ourselves stuck on start in our spiritual lives and we're not moving forward, the Holy Spirit's ministry is to convict us and to move us beyond where we are. We need to listen. And as the Holy Spirit is pulling you out of your malaise and, and the stuff that we're doing that doesn't please God, instead of resisting it and being and revealed, Rebelling against it, we need to be saying thank you. Thank you to that husband who was honest enough to tell you you had a screw in your head. That's a commercial. <laughs> thank you to that wife who was willing to be honest enough with you to say that you're insensitive and that you're harsh in how you say things. Thank you to that wife who says, I need more of your time. You're more, you're more concerned about this, that, and the other. They were honest enough to say, I need you. Those children who didn't have to act up to get your attention. They just said, Daddy, are you going to be home tonight? Or Mommy, are you going to be home? I don't need more stuff from you, Mommy and Daddy. I need more of you. When God uses those individuals and the Holy Spirit in your life, you need to be saying, thank you. Thank you. I needed that. I receive it. And as we receive what the Holy Spirit is saying, we can grow and we can change. Would you stand with me? Don't let this be your last time. How many times do you have to hear the Holy Spirit saying, 
arise. How many times does he have to warn you that if you don't do something today, this may be the last opportunity that you ever get to save a nation, to save a generation. Who is your Nathan? Who is your Joab? What about Abigail? Do you have a pastor or an elder, a deacon, a Samuel who can speak into your life about where you are spiritually? It's not just enough for a man to say, submit to me. Are you really the spiritual covering of your home? This is not by name only. Are you the example for your children of what a man of God should be? Can somebody be honest with you and tell you that you're not? I want you to know that God is speaking today, and I don't know exactly who he wanted that message for, but in obedience, I've given you that skin bracer moment. Will you hear, will you hear what the Spirit of God is saying? Would you bow with me?